Welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. Our movie today, this is a maybe the most important movie to me that I've done so far in Staff Picks. You will find out uh, very quickly this is maybe the movie I've seen the most times in my life. And I'm not even going to sit here and argue to say it's the best movie that I've ever seen, but it may indeed be my favorite movie. And I say that without any hint of shame at all. I've just seen this movie over and over and over in my lifetime. And uh, the movie I'm talking about, of course, is the 1984 comedy Johnny Dangerously, the Michael Keaton classic that very few people would say this is the movie they've seen the most in their life. But I am not your average person. This is my movie. Me and my brother, we'd watch this movie endlessly as kids. And so this is like, I didn't even have to take notes. I know this movie off the top of my head. It's so fun to delve into it and finally do an episode on it. And I will say, I've brought a special guest to help me delve into uh, the legend of Johnny Kelly here. Uh, He's been on the show before. He's a good friend of mine. He's an improv comic from Florida. He's a very funny guy. One of the few people who can make me laugh a lot. I'm, I'm a hard laugh. And George can always make me laugh. So I was very excited to bring him back on. Uh, he did the Swingers episode last year, which is one of my favorite ones I did on the first season. Welcome back to the show, George Hands. Thanks, Mario. It's uh, I, I felt bad that your brother can't do it. I know that uh, uh, he really wanted to, but now that he's doing uh, important uh, stuff, he, he couldn't. So instead of getting the brother's Lonza, you got Cousin Oliver, George. Sorry, but we'll have to make do. Yes, I got off-brand brother here. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I don't know if people know the backstory. Let me just delve into that. Um, you know it, obviously, George. But yep. my brother is a fairly prominent uh, in the world of law. My little brother, Dominic Lanza, we grew up together. I'm the older brother. He's the younger one. We're very similar, but we we diverged. Our paths diverged at a certain point when I went into the world of anarchic, anarchistic podcasts and comedy, and he went into the world of law, much like this plot in the movie, by the way. And my brother, we were going to do this movie. This was our movie. This was our favorite movie. We watched it endlessly as kids. We had it on a VHS tape that we just wore out. And unfortunately, when I started planning staff picks, he was going through the Senate judicial confirmation hearings. He was a lawyer in Phoenix, and then he got nominated to be a federal judge by by the president. And while he was doing that, he has to go on media silence. He couldn't do any podcasts or anything, so I kind of held off on a Johnny Dangerously episode. And then he got confirmed, and he's a federal judge. And then basically the laws of ethics and the judiciary system of the United States say you should not be doing your brother's jackass podcast that talk about legal issues when you are a person who sets legal precedent in the country of the United States. So unfortunately, he could not do this. I know he's listening to this, and I just want to pour a little malt liquor on the ground in Dom's honor that this is our movie. But, yeah, that's why he's not here. And, George, you are a more than capable or at least slightly capable backup. So thank you for stepping in. Well, you're welcome. I think I will uh, maybe get some uh, some beers here as I do it and uh, do my best Judge Kavanaugh impression. I like beer. 
<laughs> I will say when when Dom, my brother got uh, confirmed as a federal judge, we posted. I posted, and I kind of keep this on the down low because I'm not really supposed to talk about it. And and I posted, yeah, my brother's a federal judge now, and so many people that know me were like, what? You have someone who's like actually important, and you're related to him. And George here is the first one who posted, hey, this sounds like dangerously is the DA's brother. And so my brother laughed. So my brother gives you the thumbs up, George. Well, I I hope that when I color in my coloring book of Oliver, Oliver Winslow Holmes, I, I color the purple inside the lines in his honor. You just picked out one of my favorite lines in this movie, so I know I've picked the right person here. So tell me about your history with Johnny Dangerously, because I know you have almost as extensive history as I do. Like, you've seen this movie many, many times, right? Yeah, so I've, I like you, had it on VHS tape. So growing up every summer, uh, my dad would take my sister and I on these uh, trips uh, uh, when we were off school. And we had a, uh, a van that was probably one of the earliest vans to have a VCR in it. We had the two kids. So, wow. Yes, ex- ex- exactly. Um, metallic pea green uh, wagon. So um, we took a trip from Chicago to New Orleans, Texas, Grand Canyon, San Diego, L.A., San Francisco, Mount St. Helens, Custer Battlefield, Mount Rushmore and back to Chicago in like a, a month and a half. And we had one tape, which was Elvis GI blues. And we had like five uh, of VCR tapes, including Johnny dangerously. I think cannonball run two, not one <laughs> European vacation, I think was in there back to school, weird science. So like I have seen these movies just over and over again as we're going through the panhandle of Texas or, you know, one of the Dakotas. So, yeah, I've I've seen it a lot, too. Yeah, well, um, yeah, like I said, uh, this this movie might be the one that I've seen the most in my lifetime. And it's because Dom and I had these VHS tapes. And for people who are younger than us, they won't have any concept of what this was like. A VHS tape was six hours long and you could record movies and put them on there. And if you were clever, you could get up to four movies on one tape. Right. You know this, George. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's funny because you and I have a lot of similar things that we watched in the at the end of our back to school tape, we had that uh, Rodney Dangerfield young comedian special. Um, mm-hmm. So you and I have quoted this back and forth. Some of these comedians, who's, you know, the names I forget, but I know like the same bits that, you know, Kinnison, I think Kinnison was on there, right? Uh, Kinnison was on there. And uh, who was the, uh, the guy that did the football player, the different football player voices. Oh, who was that? Oh, I don't remember his name. I, I will yeah. splice it in and make it look it up later. So I sound really smart. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bob something. Anyway. Yeah, okay, so so we had a VHS tape, and we, we always had tapes with three or four movies on them, and our, our the prime golden tape in our collection was Johnny Dangerously, Top Secret, and Wrestler's Rhapsody. That was like the pinnacle of all my comedy foundations right there, because I've watched that tape so many times. And again, Wrestler's Rhapsody is a movie that maybe 10 people in the world know. But like, I've seen that movie more than I've seen like Monty Python and stuff. To me, that's like, like one of the greatest comedies ever. Have you seen Wrestler's Rhapsody? Are you aware of that one? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I listened to the staff picks about it, and I think it was one of those early movies, just like these other ones, that was one of the few that was on HBO. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I, not as extensive as, as you, but it was something I watched quite a bit. 
Yeah, so just this movie just on endless loop at our house at all times. And there's so many one-liners in it. There's so many great gags and just throwaway jokes. And it's just perfect for, like, a movie to have on in the background. You don't have to pay attention to it. But you just kind of pick up the flow of the dialogue. And that's even when I watch it now, I just love this movie so much. Because I just love the, the spirit and the energy. And, again, I wouldn't say it's one of the greatest comedies of all time. It's just such a distinct comedy that I've never not enjoyed watching it. Yeah, you know, I went back and, and did some homework on the movie, um, and I was disappointed to see, like, the bad reviews that, that it, it generally got. I was like, oh, you, you're killing my childhood. But, you know, so I was kind of worried. I hadn't watched it in quite some time. I was worried that it, would, it wouldn't it would hold up. You know, I, I watched UHF. I loved that as a kid. I watched it, and I was like, oh, God, this wasn't good at all. And, <laughs> uh, but then, you know, I watched it, and it, it, still, it still held up. Yeah, I think a lot of that is because of the supporting cast. And that's the thing, like, Michael Keaton, the star of this movie, for people who don't know it, this is maybe the signature Michael Keaton movie. Apologies to whatever I said about Mr. Mom being awesome. This is the Michael Keaton movie, but he's just surrounded by all these great side character actors that are barely in it for, like, more than one scene, but they steal that scene. Uh, yeah, I, I have a list of the, the some of the different people, you know, a bunch of uh, the that guys kind of thing. Yeah, there's there's a huge list of people, and a lot of it has to do, I think, with um, the uh, director, who's Amy Heckerling, mm-hmm. who did Fast Times. So you see a lot of the the same Fast Times people in it. But then there's just other random people, and uh, I I told you that I would have one random pull in this that's just gonna I think blow your mind. And now I now I sold it too much. Okay. Fine. Hit me. You've built it up. Try. Let's win me over here. Well, when we get to that part of the movie, I'll I'll bust it out. Oh, you're going to delay it. Now it's going to it's going to bomb even harder now. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so yeah, to sum it up, this movie was not a hit, and I will say that again. It was never the biggest comedy. It wasn't like a huge hit. It was just one that was on cable all the time. But there's a couple important things in this movie at least for my development as a child, and that'll say, George, I'm sure you're aware of this. This was one of the very first boobs. Yeah, boobs, of course. Yeah, I mean, obviously. But this was one of their very first PG-13 movies, correct? That's right. Yeah, I do remember seeing that. Yeah, Red Dawn, I think, was the first one in November of 84. This came out in December of 84, so it's like right after. It's like the third or fourth PG-13 movie. And what's important to that is that I was not allowed to see R-rated movies. That was a big thing in our house. Dom and I were raised as like milk fed veal we weren't allowed to do anything (laughs) but the greatest thing about this movie is that all the profanity is not really profanity it's all by roman moroni one of the great side characters of all time who just spews profanity endlessly but they're all fake like made up swear words like mormon swear words so the movie never got an r so it was it was allowed in our house because it was not r for that for that main reason and I've, i've always loved that about it well you know it's pretty funny because as as we as we talked about, there is profanity in this movie, but no one can understand what the hell it is. And I'm not just talking about Roman Maroney. Oh, who else? Are we talking about the, the cleaning lady? Exactly. She says the worst things ever. And I don't know that it's it's bleeped on like the TNT version. <laughs> yeah, the on the okay, I've seen this movie on TV, I've seen it on, on uh the cable. They, they don't cut any of the – for people who don't know, there's a cleaning lady at the end of this movie, and she's only in two scenes, and she reels off every ethnic slur known to man in one scene, but it's really in a really thick Irish accent. And they did not bleep that. That's included on the TV version because you don't know what she's saying. But I will tell you what does get cut out on the TV version, and that's the your testicles and you scene. 
Really? Yeah. I saw this movie so many times on TV before I ever saw it on cable, so I know it without the your testicles and you. When I watch it eventually at the video store, there's this whole new scene added. I'm like, oh, that, that explains a lot. I never saw that scene before. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, fine. I'm glad you finally got your balls. <laughs> yes. So anyway, uh, Johnny Dangerously, just a minor comedy from the 80s that for some reason is just latched on with a lot of people. Although, like George said, not everybody, like it's like 44% on Rotten Tomatoes. But although if you go to the Internet Movie Database, like the ratings are real low. But if you read the comments, it's everybody that thinks they're the only person who loves this movie. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of movies, I think, like that, where uh, and I think the Internet has kind of helped that where you say something and then you you realize you're, you're part of a community. Uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, there's some kid who grew up in rural Arkansas who thought he was the only racist white supremacist, and then he found the internet, and you know, <laughs> a love affair was born. Yeah, it's probably best my brother's not on the podcast after that one. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So anyway, yeah, Michael Keaton just at the pinnacle of his career, and we just talked about it, Mr. Mom, like what a star he was at the time. And I like he just just oozes charisma in this movie. This is the role he was born to play. But let's not forget some of the side actors like Joe Piscopo steals this movie almost every time he talks. And I know. Are you a Piscopo fan, George? Yeah, I'm not the SNL historian like you. Uh, I've gone in and out with with SNL through the years. But you're absolutely right. Piscopo is is awesome. And, you know, he, he never really had much of a of a movie career. So this has to be his his pinnacle of of acting in movies unless uh unless you have a difference of opinion no i mean i I'd, I'd, I'd have a hard time debating anybody finding anybody who would debate that this is not the joe piscopo highlight reel yeah although i love i think he was great on snl so joe piscopo is one of those guys i think gets a lot of crap and everyone makes fun of him but like you know he was almost as good as eddie murphy for a couple of years on snl and then in this movie he's stealing scenes from michael keaton so i mean let's not turn this guy into a joke he was really good at what he did for a while there when I told my sister that I was uh, going to do this podcast, you know, she was on those trips with me. And of course, the when I said Johnny Dangerously, the first thing she said to me was, you know, my mother hung me on a hook once. <laughs> once. That's the line that I think anybody would, would remember is, is the once. Yeah. Well, there's two. That's the thing. I can't even pick out what the most iconic side character is in this movie. You could say, oh, it's Danny Vermin, Joe Piscopo being hung on a hook and getting kicked in the balls. But you can make just as strong an argument for Roman Maroney swearing in Italian and ruining every, and missing every word. So, like, you can't even pick what the most iconic side character in this movie is. They might be the number one and two side character in comedies of the 80s. Like, it's astounding. I think you're sleeping on Ma Kelly. Ma Kelly, she's solid. Maureen Stapleton, yes. Uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I was thinking June, uh, Jean Stapleton. That's the uh, uh, All in the Family, Family Lady. So I don't know if you came across this in your research about what kind of actress that Stapleton was. No, was she like porn? <laughs> that was later. <laughs> <laughs> this lady, okay, like a couple years earlier won the Oscar for a movie Reds, which I've never seen, but, you know, mm -hmm. is probably a serious movie. So she won an Oscar a couple of years before Johnny Dangerously. She won a Tony and an Emmy, and she was nominated for a Grammy for Spoken Word. I mean, she almost had the EGOT, and the first thing you see on her is the Lower East Side. It really sucks. <laughs> wow, I, I had no idea she had such an extensive career. That's that's quite an arc. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. It's like... Uh, um, Leslie Nielsen, you know, he was a serious actor, and then he comes in in 
naked gun and everyone just thinks he's a slapstick and, and, and stuff like that. It's those serious actors are the ones who can play comedy so well. So Ma Kelly is just, she's the one I would say steals the movie. Really? Okay. So that's three amazing side characters that are all stealing scenes from Michael Keaton, who steals scenes on his own in other movies. So it's like, yeah, it's like, I don't, I was going to say, I don't know how people could dislike this movie, but that's, I mean, not indeed the case. I know a lot of people who don't like this movie. And again, it's, it was not a hit. It was, it's seen as sophomoric. It's seen as stupid. I don't think either one of us is going to argue it's a great movie, right? You know, what? what's great? It makes me laugh. A comedy, I mean, how many comedies actually get the recognition that they that they deserve how many comedies are are nominated for oscar best picture stuff like that comedy if it makes you laugh it's damn it's a good movie to me and this movie makes me laugh it does it makes me laugh in a lot of different ways and again it's kind of like airplane i'm trying to sell this to people it's a gangster movie like airplane almost like slapstick and like a a uh, spoof of the genre and again, a lot of the jokes don't work, but there's so many little, little silly lines that just work. And again, I was a, you know, a young budding comedian growing up trying to learn how to be funny. And I'm watching the scene in this movie where Johnny dangerously talks about how he's about to get shot. And the mob boss says, oh, you'll feel better if you have a cookie. Like, where does that line come from? And that line has always sat in my head as just a non sequitur. There's no reason for that line to be there. And it just, I've been quoting that endlessly. Oh, you'll feel better if you have a cookie. <laughs> I quote that line too. <laughs> Whenever, like at work, we 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 have meals and stuff, and if we have leftovers, I bring them around, and you know, I have said that. Oh, you'll feel better if you have a cookie. And yeah, you hit the the tone of it. Uh, Peter Boyle. We didn't even mention, you know, Jocko Dundee. Peter Boyle is is great in this. Oh yeah, and then you got Ray Walston, you know, Mr. Hand from Fast Time, showing up in the last twenty minutes of the movie, repeatedly being having thrown into his head. Like just yeah, just an endless bounty of comedy and just silly little gags and one-liners and non-sequiturs and again it's just the oddest movie i can't think of anything that compares to johnny dangerously and i and i was gonna say one thing i cannot with good conscience say this is a movie for everybody my wife hates this movie my kids i cannot sell them on this movie whatsoever i've tried they will walk out of the room so there's a specific type of person who likes johnny dangerously and if you're that type of person you will love this movie well, I think you need to get rid of your wife and kids and uh, let's get an apartment together. <laughs> All right. So here we go. So are you ready to walk through the plot, quote unquote, plot of Johnny Dangerously, George? Uh, absolutely. Let's let's rock and roll. OK, first off, we're going to start right off the bat with the opening credits, because there's some controversy about this, the song and the opening credits. Are you aware of this? I don't know exactly what the controversy is, but I know Weird Al did the song. I can picture the song in my head. And um, but then it, it was it was in the movie, but wasn't in the the DVD or DVD. Uh, it wasn't in the, the the VHS tape that you had taped uh, in your house. Correct. In the theatrical version, Weird Al does "This Is the Life." That's the opening. That's the song he wrote for this movie. I eat filet mignon seven times a day. My bathtub is filled with Yeah, one of the few one of the few songs that he actually wrote or the originals, I mean. Yeah, I mean this is the first time I think so it was a big deal for him. And I don't know what the deal was with the video rights, but when the movie went to VHS and TV, they cut the Weird Al song out of the opening credits and they take the song from the end credits, the uh Let's Misbehave, yeah. and they just use the instrumental version of that and that was in the opening credits for many years on the VHS version. We're all alone, no chaperone, can't get our numbers. 
And then when it went to DVD, they fixed that mistake and they put the Weird Al one back in there. Yeah, I, I, I wish I would have found the, the, the reason why, but yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I mean, again, it was a big deal for Weird Al, a big step in his career, and all of a sudden his, his song got yanked out of the movie. And it's the only instance I can think of like that in a comedy. Although I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the hottest of hot takes here, George. Ooh. This is going to get me – I'm going to lose a lot of uh, cred with my Weird Al fans here. Uh-huh. I like the version of the credits without the Weird Al song better. <laughs> huh. I don't think it fits the movie very well. Well, you know, I guess you can just dare to be stupid. Wait, that's the best you got for that? I gave you all that setup, and that's the joke you came up with? Ah, I'm sorry. I choked. What would Polly the Parrot say? <laughs> fuck face! <laughs> you missed fuck face! <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah, Polly the Parrot. We even missed that one in the best supporting characters. You know, if I'm 10 years old, I don't see many F-words in movies because I can't see R-rated movies. To have a parrot screaming an F-word at Joe Piscopo out of nowhere just would make me laugh so hard because I think you would get one F-word in a PG-13 movie, and so they saved it for the parrot. <laughs> and the cleaning lady. <laughs> yeah. As we were setting up this podcast, George said, well, you know, I... Uh, I, I learned there was one accent that I could do really well from watching this movie. And I'm like, oh, the cleaning lady, the Irish lady. And George says, no, the parrot. <laughs> so. It's your mother, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys know how perfect that accent is. <laughs> He's absolutely nailing the parrot voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so we get through the Weird Al opening and the credits debacle, and again, I, I like the original music, sorry. And then we start with one of, a, one of the silliest, stupidest sight gags in a movie I could think of to start with, where the year appears on the screen, it says 1935, and a bunch of cars drive through in the background, and then all of a sudden, the date solidifies, and a car just crashes through the date, and the numbers all go crashing down, which, it's such an airplane gag, but they never did that in airplanes, so I'm going to say it's a Johnny Dangerously gag. Yeah, or a top-secret gag wasn't in there either, right? No, it wasn't in there, yeah. So, yeah, Johnny Dangerously, again, fit into that genre. That's what we're talking about here. It's just one of these silly spoof comedies. And right off the bat, we get a sight gag with a car driving over the date on the screen. Yeah, you, you know what you're getting into when you see stuff like that. Really sets the mood. It does, yeah. Based on a true story, of course, at this point. Of course. All right, so we get we start with a, it's in a pet store. It's called Kelly's Pets, and, and uh, Michael Keaton runs this pet store, and... Is it, basically, this whole movie is seen in flashback, because what's going to happen is a kid comes into the pet store and tries to steal a dog, and Johnny's like, hey, what are you trying to do? Like, you know where a life of crime will lead you? And the kid's like a thug, like one of those 1930s street thugs. And Johnny tries to give him a talking to, right? Yeah, exactly. The, the kid reminds me of like a young uh, Christopher from Sopranos, kind of like a big nose, you know, acting like he's all tough. Yeah. Yeah, Johnny tries to tell him a story, and the kid's got the, the strong New York accent, like, oh, wake me when you're true. That's right. So Johnny's going to tell this kid a story about how, how Johnny became a, a law-abiding pet store owner, and we flash back, and right off the bat, they do the little Wayne's World gag, which I should point out was 10 years before Wayne's World, right? The do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, I, I can't think that Johnny Dangerously was the first movie. There had to have been a movie before that that does this, because it's, it's a trope. 
that's what I'm thinking. I don't know what would have done a gag, gag like that before. Like, I can't think of a Mel Brooks movie that does that. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, they're talking about the past, and all of a sudden the screen starts, you know, getting hazy and blurry. And the kid, like, breaks the fourth wall, looks at the, at the screen, he's like, whoa, what's going on? Why is it doing that? And Johnny's like, oh, that always happens when I talk about the past. And I can't think of that as showing up in a movie before Johnny Dangerously. So it may have indeed have invented that because Top Secret kind of started that style of humor. Or sorry, Airplane started that style of humor. Yeah, there, there's there's something, and I, I wish I would have done the homework, but I didn't. So. Yeah, maybe it was in Reds with Maureen Stapleton. Maybe that's where it first showed up. <laughs> exactly. That's She's the one who invented it. That's why she got the, the Best Supporting Actress nomination. That's... <laughs> So, so we go back to 1910. We're gonna the whole movie's gonna be told in flashback about how Johnny had a life of crime and became a, a nightclub or a pet stop pet store owner. Although, right off the bat, again, just me and my brother—I should probably say my brother and me—we were, we were just like, I'm, I'm trying to say we were we were nerdy kids, but we just caught on to certain lines and comedy lines and just gags and bits that really just kind of popped out to us as being smarter than the average movie. I know where you're going here. Yeah, we're gonna get some historical references right off the bat here. Yeah, exactly. I, I knew I knew exactly what lines because I think we all have the same lines. <laughs> yeah. Again, this movie's smarter than it gets credit for because when we start going into history here, and I will say where they talk about how in 1910, you know, America was going through good times and everything was good except for William Howard Taft. Was he a porker? And they say that at 310 pounds, Taft weighed as much as Teddy Roosevelt and half of William McKinley. To this day, I have never forgot that statistic. It's always in my head when I think of Taft, Roosevelt, and McKinley. I just think of, you know, every time I do a lot of trivia, and whenever William Howard Taft comes up, you know, the next thing in my head is, was he a porker? <laughs> yes. We have a William Howard Taft joke in a comedy. If you're wondering why maybe this wasn't the biggest mainstream hit, there you go. The next line is the one that, that cracks me up, and it actually got me on the internet finding where, where, where I didn't find out what... Uh, what movie had the first blur, you know, flashback sequence, but I looked up the McCoy Act to see if it was a real thing. Not so the McCoy Act, uh, they say uh, immigrants who wanted their citizenship had to stay out of their apartment for at least four hours a day and walk around the streets with hats on. Yeah. <laughs> and the pause is, is great. So I was like, was it really something called the McCoy Act? You know, not something that said they had to wear hats, but the, the, no, nah, there wasn't. There was no McCoy Act. I will say that that line right there in a movie is probably what inspired my brother to go into law. <laughs> like he, he loved this movie so much, and there's a the thing with Tommy coloring Oliver Wendell Holmes purple and the McCoy Act of 1909. That I think that was my brother's email signature for many years. He just quoted the McCoy Act. <laughs> so, if you're wondering what kind of kids we were in the house, that's what we're doing. We're doing McCoy Act jokes. You, your mom was uh, was doing some ironing on her birthday, and uh, you said, Ma, you can't iron on your birthday, and, and, and your your brother Dom's like, gee, Mario, I don't think that's a real law. Well, Dom, you won't find it in any of your law books because I just made it up. Oh. This is literally what it was like in our house in 1984, right before I went into crime and he went to the DA's office. So was your dad Killer Lonza? He was, yeah, he was a piece of shit criminal. <laughs> okay, well, there's a couple things. Again, we're just talking about, we're, we're watching, as we're talking, making all these history jokes in the movie at the start, they're showing this old newsreel footage of all these immigrants walking through New York, and it's, you know, sped up. It's that goofy Babe Ruth footage. Mm -hmm. And there's another line here that I always love where he says, uh, all these immigrants flock to America. 97% of them settled into a two-block area of New York City. <laughs> Which, again, just... 
such a weird little cerebral joke to have in a movie and it just it goes over because they don't dwell on it it's just a weird history joke and just there's a reason people like me and George and my brother love Johnny Dangerously just weird non sequitur humor newsreel jokes like that I appreciate you putting me in the same sentence as your brother I really have cousin Oliver this thing just in injected myself into your family I'm going to superimpose myself in Lanza family photos from 1982. <laughs> well, you were our parrot. See, I'll just pretend we had a parrot who spouts profanities at us. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to try to combine the, uh, the, the cleaning lady with the parrot, and it broke my mind. <laughs> wow, it's inception at that point. Yes. Okay, so we've met the we've met we're on our time period here. We're in nineteen ten, we're all immigrants in New York, the McCoy Act with hats on. Don't never forget the pause before the last part. And then we meet Mom Kelly, the ma the matriarch of the family. Maureen Stapleton, fresh off her, her uh triple crown of acting awards. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you you finally meet her and uh uh it's her birthday and she's ironing and, and Johnny comes home and uh and gives her a gift and she she opens it up and it's it's an ashtray. And she says, I've been thinking about taking up smoking. This clinches it. Yeah, she she has an astounding number of one liners in this movie, although we skipped over the the Lower East Side. This really sucks, which is the first thing she said. Yeah. And then we meet. Uh, yeah. So we meet the whole family and we have the history here that Johnny is a paper boy. He was down on the street and uh, and he's got the neighborhood tough Danny Vermin, who's going to grow up to Joe, be Joe Piscopo later. And basically, yeah, we meet the Kelly family and we meet Johnny and Danny Vermin. And uh, let's see, which one comes first? I think the fight where Danny and Johnny have the little fight in the street comes first, right? Uh, oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yes, so, George. George <laughs> said. Yes, that is correct, Mario. Yeah, uh, you, you, the first time you see Vermin, he's, he's, he's walking around and there's a blind guy and he cuts the leash on the, the, the blind guy's seeing eye dog. And, of course, you hear, you know, the, the crash and the guy gets run over. Although what happens is they end up fighting. They have a little fist fight, these two paper boys on the street, Johnny and the bad guy, Danny. And Johnny wins. And this crime boss, Jocko Dundee, the, the New York Yankees of crime bosses, sees him. And he's like, I like that kid. I want that kid to join my gang. And he calls Johnny over. He's like, you want to join my gang? You want to make a quick 50 bucks? And Johnny's like, oh, I, I could never do that. It would break my mother's heart. And Jocko's like, all right, well, come here if you want to make 50 bucks. And this is where we go and we find out that Johnny's mom needs the operation, right, which costs exactly $50. Yeah, you know, all throughout the movie, that's that's there's so many recurring gags, but it starts with a you know fifty dollar whatever she needs. She she needs a surgery and he doesn't know how to pay for it, and it gets the thought bubbles. You know, there's another trope that that they throw in there where he's trying to figure out how to how to pay for it, and um, all he can think he, he remembers Jocko says, you know, come to the club Maroni tonight. Yeah, so Johnny is just a good boy. He's just a, a the apple of his mother's eye, and he's raising his younger brother, future legal student. And Johnny's just a good kid who's going to be lured into crime because his mom needs repeated operations throughout this movie. And like you said, the the pancreas operation, forty nine ninety five, that will lure him into crime, and it will escalate throughout the movie. To at one point, they're paying like seventeen hundred dollars for a thyroid search or something. Yeah, what's she has a problem with her thyroid? What is it? We can't find it. We need to do a thyroid search. <laughs> yeah. Although here's here's another line that we referenced earlier in the podcast. I think I gotta say, I, I'd put in my top ten Johnny Dangerously lines where Johnny's in the apartment and he sees his brother coloring in a coloring book, the future legal student. And he's like, hey, look at this, Mom. He colored Oliver Wendell Holmes purple. 
which is just a stupid line. That makes no sense. There's no payoff to that. I don't know how you could possibly make a joke out of that. But the mom walks over and says, oh, bless the saints, and him only six years old. Which is just such a weird response to him coloring Oliver Wendell Holmes purple that just always stuck in my head. Like, she's so amazed that this is the proper way to color him, and he's only six, so he must be gifted. (laughs) Can't make a joke out of it, huh? B-O-R-E-D, chairman of the board. (laughs) That was more for your benefits. (laughs) That was good. I I appreciate any Norm MacDonald reference. He's quoting Norm MacDonald on Conan here trying to make me laugh, but you're never going to beat you with a parrot, so don't even try. Fuckface! And I will say that was one of my brother's favorite lines, the him coloring Oliver, Oliver Wendell Holmes purple and only being six years old, because it's just, it's just a weird non sequitur to follow up with. I like to think in your, your brother's judge's chamber, he has a, a little mini fridge there with some, some Perrier, but he's also got his, uh, his Oliver Wendell Holmes painted purple that he, he did when he was, you know, eight years old, just stuck there with some magnets. You know, I put that kid through law school. He should be more grateful to me. I would never talk to you again. <laughs> All right, so so Johnny needs 50 bucks to uh, keep his family going. He's the man of the house because, again, his father was a prisoner. His father died on death row, so Johnny's the man of the house. So we're going to go to the famous nightclub robbery, which is the first big set piece in the movie where they go rob the club of Roman Troy Maroney. We, we meet Maroney for the first time in uh, – it's a rival gang of Jocko Dundee, and they, they come in there, and, and, and Dundee's like, you know, check these guys out, make sure they're not carrying guns, whatever, and, you know, we're we're clean, Maroney, and he says, all right, you bastards, and this is where we find out his, his accent, uh, uh, where he says, you know, things like ice hole and bullsh, don't you bullsh die me. That's, I think that one's my favorite, and then, you know, summon the bitch. Even though my kids hate this movie, that is a phrase that I say to this day, Anytime I feel they're lying to me, I'm like, don't bullstein me. So, again, that has stuck with me for 30 years. My favorite part of that is that uh, after he you know, says all these things, you get Dundee's uh, a driver who says, you know, what a mouth on that guy. And the guy who, it, who says it is Dick Butkus, who's a, a Hall of Fame NFL player who was like one of the dirtiest players in NFL history would, would gouge people's eyes and, and bite them and spit on them and say the worst things possible. So I, I don't, it's a great gag. Yeah, it's always amazing that Dick Butkus is in here for, for a random reason. I don't know why Dick Butkus is in here, but he is. Although uh, we're glossing over a scene right at the start of the robbery, which, again, when Dom and I were kids, we would quote endlessly, oh, my God, this, if there's one line that we would say all the time to each other to make each other laugh, I will try to I will try to paint a picture for people who may not have seen Johnny Dangerously recently. It's they're all standing outside the nightclub getting ready to go in and rob it. And they're doing the little thing, the gangster move, where they nod to each other. Like, all right, we're going to go. It's, there's no verb. There's no words in the scene. They're just nodding to each other. And, like, one guy nods to the other, and then the other guy nods back. And then they start going around the circle, and everyone's nodding. And their nods are getting more frantic and more frantic. And then Jocko just says, no more nodding. And, like, Dom and I would make each other laugh just by saying that at random times at dinner if someone nods. Like, no more nodding. So that's how Johnny Dangerously has touched my life, that scene right there. And I think it was kind of the precursor to, uh, what is it, the scene in Fletch where uh, doctor, 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 doctor. Or is that Three Stooges? I don't even remember. I think that is Fletch, but they, it may have come from Three Stooges or Marx Brothers or something. But I definitely know it was in Fletch. Yeah, same, same principle where it just keeps going until someone just says, you know, stop this. 
Yeah. And again, they didn't do gags like that in airplanes. So Johnny Dangerously is coming up with stuff that even the Zucker brothers hadn't done yet. So I, I, I will give a quick shout out to the no more nodding scene, a personal favorite. Although, let's let's go through Roman Maroney's swear words here. Just because this is the thing, one of the things that everyone remembers about this movie. You got this Italian gangster, Roman Maroney, who swears like Richard Pryor, except he's stereotypical greasy Italian. And I can say that because George and I are both greasy Italians, right? I'm half. Okay, you're... You're fairly greasy. I'm just greasy. Yeah, you're just greasy. George is a greasy Floridian. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so the words that Roman Maroney uses, again, every other word out of his mouth is a swear word, but it's bastages, summon a batch, ice hole, fargan, bells, or boils. He uses different words for balls. Bullstein, which is, again, is my favorite as well. And then he uses dwark. And at least twice in this movie, they refer to someone's dick as a dork, I believe. <laughs> I'm going to take your dork. I do this accent terrible. I need to stick to the parrot, but, you know, I'm going to nail it to the wall. I'm going to cut your boils in a meat grinder. I'm going to cut off your arms. I'm going to shove them up your ice hole. I got better at the end. And this is the dirtiest thing I've ever heard as a kid who can't see R-rated movies, but it, it's PG-13 because these aren't actual swear words. It was the loophole that was invented just for the Lanza boys. Yeah, it was pretty awesome uh, uh, to be able to say cork sucker. Yes, that was the one I was leaving for the end. Cork sucker. Cork sucker. <laughs> I had never heard that word. I'd never even heard the word that is based on. But for years now, I'm ten years old, walking around saying cork sucker. So I'm sure my parents at church were very excited about that. Well, you know, Machine Gun Kelly was on death row, so <laughs> it was a tough time for all of us. Yes, Machine Gun Lanza. <laughs> yes. So yeah, so Johnny helps him rob the bank and Johnny or rob the club and Johnny becomes the big hero and they love him and they say, wow, kid, you helped us pull off a heist and, you know, you live dangerously. What's your name? And Johnny, of course, doesn't want to, you know, give away his good name. He doesn't want his mom to know he's a criminal. So he says, oh, I'm Johnny Dangerously. And he's like, oh, now I got a name I have to live up to. Yeah, Johnny Dangerously is, 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 is. Something that I could make a joke on and I have nothing for. <laughs> well done, George. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, cut that. <laughs> He's not the best color man in the league for nothing, folks. <laughs> I'm not going to cut that because that's funnier now. <laughs> it's no Binderhoff. But I'll point out that the movie's great of breaking the fourth wall is that somebody actually points out later that his name is an adverb. So I appreciate English teacher humor. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if, like, there's other L word, L-Y words, like, uh, you know, if, if there was, like, some Celtic fan who was like, Hey, Barkley, you know your last name's an adverb, you fuck. <laughs> How do we get into a Celtics heckler here? <laughs> hey, Mattingly, your last name's an adverb, you fuck. <laughs> I don't know. They weren't in Boston? No. Staff picks has devolved into a random Celtics game now. Hey, Barkley! Your last name's an adverb, you fuck! <laughs> Alright. <laughs> so, so John, Johnny's been giving his, given his name, he's an adverb. And now we get this scene, this random scene where Johnny goes back to his old neighborhood and he grows up and he's like a break dancer. And there, was, there wasn't even break dancing yet. Yeah, well, what, you're saying there was no break dancing in 1935? Not that I'm aware of. What? Did not come up in my research. 
Yeah, so there is a scene where Johnny's breakdancing as an adolescent, which is great to watch Michael Keaton trying to play a adolescent kid breakdancing. But anyway, he has to go work full-time for the Dundee gang because his mom keeps having maladies. She has a uh, the thyroid search. This is the one here that will cost $999. Yeah, they couldn't find it. So Johnny joins the Dundee gang full-time, and there's a scene here, a random scene that makes no sense. There's no reason for the scene to be in the movie where the Pope just randomly shows up at his house. And Dom DeLuise is like fourth in the credits because he's in one scene. He's on the movie poster. He's on the movie poster. And then, you know, when I was saying all those movies that I had on that trip around the U.S., I had Cannibal Run 2. That's got Dom DeLuise and Mary Lou Henner in it, too. Wow. They were very instrumental in my youth. So they were like the uh, Bogart and Bacall of your childhood. They were in every movie. Mary Lou Henner, uh, yeah, was probably my first crush, and, and Dom DeLuise was probably the second one. <laughs> and it's good to know that those two people are 99% the same biological material, if you think about it. And and I'm sure that, that Mary Lou Henner could tell you every every percentage of that. You know, she has that weird photographic memory. Yeah, George isn't kidding. I don't know if people know that. Mary Lou Henner, she's got the freakiest uh, uh, talent, and I've seen her do it before. She knows Every single event that has happened to her on every day of her life. And she can reel off the event from any day of her life back to like when she was like five years old. It's crazy. Yeah, she did like on a, a TV a TV show where they asked her some date, random date, which I believe was the moon landing. And she blushed or something because the first thing instead that popped up in her mind, it was like the first time she necked with a boy or had sex or something like so that's what she thought of before you know neil armstrong touching down was you know johnny Stinkfinger touching down on her she i remember that she she lost her virginity on the night of the moon landing and that's what it was craig kilborn daily show brought that up so you just have to remember it was an exciting time george that night yeah you know more than one person planted their flag that night god damn it <laughs> okay all right so there's the scene where where johnny comes home and like he's like this is where we hear the the story that all the neighborhood people gather around they're like oh it's johnny dangerously and he's like no no all you neighborhood people i'm just johnny kelly a lawful nightclub owner and i'm not the notorious dangerously uh, notorious gangster johnny dangerously and we find out that everybody knows he's johnny dangerously except his beloved mother and his little law student brother and that's how we're going to keep it so that's the crux of the movie that's going to drive what what plot there is the rest of the way and, the, and uh, this is where the Pope shows up, and, and Johnny gives him some money to buy a new gym for the Vatican. Don DeLuise, one of his best acting roles ever. Two minutes of screen time, and he shows up on the poster. He deserves every every poster he's on. Okay, so so Johnny's upstairs. He's coming home, and this is where we find, uh-oh, the first plot twist in this movie. That Johnny thinks everything's going smoothly, but it turns out his younger brother, who is now played by Griffin Dunn, is is dropping out of law school. Uh-oh, the Kelly family is, has a, their first controversy because not only is mom sick and cooking beer at home for some reason, beer with noodles, which is just another non sequitur they never explain. It's a great idea. And, well, you've tried beer with noodles? No, that's what Johnny says. It's a great idea. And okay. uh, maybe I did in college. I probably did ramen with uh, Schlitz. Well, it's got the Johnny Dangerously endorsement, so I guess I could stand behind it. But we find out that Tommy's dropping out of law school because... Now, why, George? Why would Tommy, a bright young legal mind, want to drop out of law school? There's, is there something that's lacking in his life? Uh, yes, uh, Mario, there is. He wants to hump his brains out. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. 
poor Tommy wants to drop out of school because he's got his girlfriend, Sally, and he wants to have sex with her, and you're not allowed to have sex without being married in 1935. So this is a huge dilemma, and Tommy's going to drop out of law school. And Johnny, of all people, has to get him to stay in school. And this will, again, drive most to the movie, that Johnny is the one responsible for what Tommy will become later. Yeah, so he, he has to convince uh, his brother that he, he needs to stick in school because so he's not a scumbag like his brother. So here we go. We're going to jump forward here a little bit. This is where we're going to meet the other main characters in the movie that Johnny goes back to work and it's this nightclub and he, you know, he has this nightclub at the, in the bottom floor and it's a front for the mob activities upstairs and he goes to work and we meet the new singing girl. There's a girl named Lil Sheridan who's auditioning for a role in a nightclub and this is Mary Lou Henner and, and Johnny of course is smitten. He falls in love with her instantly and he goes over and flirts and it's a fun little scene. Mary Lou Henner I think is, is very actually underrated in this movie because she actually drives a lot of the drama scenes. She actually holds her own with the comic people i would say yeah because she has uh she has spirit she has fire she has spunk she has verve she's got those <laughs> i like those on a woman that might be the line i still use uh, uh to this day when a girl walks by and has as a, a nice assets I, I like those on a woman you work in hr right uh not anymore <laughs> <laughs> yes no one was planting his flag that night <laughs> not no so there's there's another throwaway line here that I love in the scene. It just it always jumps out at me whenever I see it. Where Johnny shows up at the club and all the girls come and fawn over him and start stroking him and like and Johnny's got a little flunky. This guy uh, Scott Thompson walks up and he's like, "How do you do it, Johnny? How do you how do you attract all these women?" And Johnny's like, "Mutual respect," which is complete opposite of what's going on in the scene. And they don't stick on that joke, but I just love that. Oh, it's mutual respect. They just stroke me. It's awesome. So two things. The line I thought you were going to bring up is, uh, I'm not wearing a bra, Johnny. That makes two of us. <laughs> and the fact Scott Thompson, Scott Thompson of Police Academy fame, the guy who dances with the leather daddy guy from the Blue Oyster Bar. Well, Scott Thompson's one of those that guys because he's in Fast Times, too. He's one of these, uh, uh, the guy that works at All-American Burger that gets fired, that, or that is in the bathroom when Judge Reinhold stands up to the customer. So Scott Thompson is one of these that guys in 80s comedies. Like you said, Police Academy, he's the guy in the Blue Oyster Bar. So he's, I love Scott Thompson, and I, I wish he'd been in more stuff. And then he became Gunther on Friends. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's, it's the career arc that Maureen Stapleton wishes she had. <laughs> after she got the EGOT. So this is where uh, Johnny hits on Lil Sheridan and she turns him down. And it's like the first time Johnny has ever been turned down by a woman and he kind of likes it. And this is where she gives the, the famous line, did you know your last name's an adverb? So again, English teacher humor that's sneaking its way into a crime parody movie of the 1930s. You're a fuckface, Barkley. <laughs> Although it does make me... <laughs> It does make me wonder, who was the audience for this movie? And that's one of the great questions about 80s comedies. Who did they think this movie was going to appeal to? English teachers. English teachers and parrots, right? Did you know your last name is a gerund? <laughs> I don't even know what a gerund is. You can make anything up, and I couldn't tell you if you're right or wrong. It's just a word I know. Your last word is an infinitive. I could have gone with that one as well. <laughs> These are just words George knows. We're just saying stuff. Yeah. Your last name is a past participle. <laughs> but again, yeah, who was this movie marketed towards? Like, 
I don't remember there being a big demand for parodies of 1930s gangster spoofs going on in the 80s. And then this movie comes out, and it's marketed like to kids almost because it's PG-13. But they have like adverb jokes. They have jokes about Taft. They have jokes about immigrants and stock footage. Like, who was the market for this movie? I've never understood that. And I, I, I do understand why it wasn't a hit. It's just, it's just all over the place with styles and stuff. All over the place with fun. <laughs> yes, thank you. It was all over the place with wackiness. And now is when we meet our uh, our next uh, big character, Danny Vermin. Oh, yeah, Danny Vermin. Okay, so we go upstairs to the club, and Johnny meets Jocko Dundee, and this is still Peter Boyle still running the show. And we meet the newest member of the gang, Danny Vermin, who, again, was Johnny's Johnny's childhood bully, and they've known each other growing up. Although, that does open an interesting plot hole. Do you know what plot hole that opens up here? Do you want me to say yes or no? I would love if you said yes and you could save me the work. Yes, because uh, they knew each other, so Danny would know that Johnny Dangerously was actually, wait, spoiler alert, Johnny Kelly. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we've, we were, we're on to you, Johnny Dangerously. Huge plot hole here. And that later in the movie, Danny Vermin will find out that Johnny and Tommy Kelly are brothers and that Johnny Dangerously is Johnny Kelly. But if they were childhood enemies and fought all the time and lived on the same street, he'd probably know that kid was Johnny Kelly. I'm just saying. Well, you know what? If your brother were here, I think you would say, sustained, I'll allow it. I'm sure he would. That would that's exactly. It's an uncanny impression of my brother, the Honorable Judge Dominic Lanza. Good job. I'll allow it. Is that better? <laughs> Much better. Yeah, that's he. He is kind of squawky like that. It does. That's how it goes. All right. So yeah, Danny Vermin has grown up and he's become a real scumbag. And this is where a couple iconic lines in this movie. He pulls out a gun, his eighty-eight Magnum, like his signature gun, which is like way longer. It's like one of these comic prop guns where the little bang comes out at the end. Yeah, like the Joker would have or something like that. And. And uh, he says it shoots through schools, which uh, I found out that they cut this from the TV, like around uh, uh, Sandy Hook or uh, or the C word. I know you're I don't want to get you riled up by saying the full Columbine word. but Yeah, thank you for not saying it. I'm glad you, yes, you held off. You're welcome. So wait, they they OK. I mean, it makes sense. They would cut out the line. But seriously, it's Johnny Dangerously, Danny Vermin joking about shooting through schools, although. As he says, it goes through the school. He didn't say it actually hits anybody. So I think you can make the argument that they should have kept that line in. It's not actually offensive. I'm sure if it goes through a school, it's probably going to clip a home ec teacher or two. <laughs> okay, well, that's a debate perhaps for another show. So Vermin is just this violence uh, violence enthusiast who loves shooting people and killing people, and Johnny doesn't like him, and they, they kind of go after each other right off the bat, and... Although this is uh, this is where we get the first instance of, of Danny Vermin's signature line, right? When when Johnny grabs him, he grabs him by the lapel, and uh, he shakes him off, and he says, "You shouldn't grab me, Johnny. My mother grabbed me once, once." And it becomes a recurring line, and and it didn't dawn on me for the longest time as he does the recurring line that he he changes family members. Yes. So it made me think: Is he killing his family members because they only did it once? That's the implication, yeah. Wow. That's dark. It's dark. Johnny Dangerously just got dark. The Danny Vermin has lived a twisted life where he's killed every one of his relatives because they all did some malady to him. Like one of them kneed him in the balls. One of them uh, <laughs> shot him. I like My favorite is hanging on a hook. That apparently one time his father hung him on a hook, which 
I do not remember being a big problem in my house with my dad. He didn't hang me on hooks, so maybe that's just a different discipline style in the 30s. I'm not sure. Your father wasn't Leatherface? <laughs> no, he was not. He was he was Killer Kelly. We've established this. That's right. Killer Killer Kelly Lanza. Yes. So uh, this is where we get the first attempt on Jocko, the, the crime boss's life, where he gets a, a, a delivery package from Roman Maroney, which is a robotic version of Roman, Roman Maroney with a Tommy gun, and he tries to blow up the entire uh, Kelly gang, or Dundee gang, sorry. And this is the best part, is that there's a note written on it, and, you know, Maroney has the accent. He writes in the accent, too, because it says, Dear Bastages. <laughs> the most underrated part of Roman Maroney that he writes in the same language that he talks in. <laughs> now, fun fact, and this isn't my, 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 my cameo fun fact yet. The guy who delivers the robot, same guy who delivers the pizza in Mr. Hand's class in Fast Times. That's right. That's Taylor Negron, very famous comedian who just died a couple years ago. Yeah, I, just, I just noticed that on this viewing. Like, hey, that's the pizza guy. I know him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love this this robotic statue of Roman Maroney that tries to take out the Dundee gang. I especially love the big old shit-eating grin it has on its face. Like, it's it's the happiest statue you've ever seen. I think as a congratulations for your brother, you need to find where on the Warner Brothers lot that that exists, and I think you need to buy it for him. You know, I think the United States government has a problem with sending prop gun-toting statues to federal judges. I just, I just think that might be a problem. I, yeah, I don't know uh, Brown versus the Board of Education or wherever that it says that, but uh, I think you're, you think it's gray area. It's a Maroney versus the Bastages of Education. It's a landmark case. <laughs> All right, so, Go ahead. so Mar Maroney has tried to kill the Dundee gang, and Johnny gets revenge by dropping a bomb on Maroney's club, and this is where it leads to all-out Fargan War between the two gangs, and we get the newspaper headline, Fargan War, which I should point out, if you look at my patron page, is the very top image I have the newspaper that says Fargan War, because I, I just want that image to be associated with my uh, Staff Picks episodes. And I love, I love that the, it's such a cartoon bomb. You know, that the, the, the guy who's flying the pain, the pilot, that's the word. He just is holding a bomb and drops in it just like a comic book. Yeah. Let me try to whistle that again. All right, I, I need to stick to the parrot because apparently I can't whistle. Well, that's how they used to do it back then, the big cartoon bombs. They just drop by hand out of planes. Now, Maroney is standing there. The guy standing next to Maroney. The guy who's the architect holding the blueprints. Yeah. I know who it is. Why don't you tell me? Vincent Schiavelli? Yep, who is the science teacher in Fast Times, right? And a very odd-looking person. Yeah, he plays a, a creepy-looking fella in everyone, uh, every movie because he's a creepy-looking fella. Funny how that works. Yeah, it is just funny how much Fast Times blends over into this movie, and that's the thing. Like, People don't realize this movie was directed by Amy Heckerling, who was the big star of Fast Times, put that movie together and directed it, and this is like her follow-up. So, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, what would be the right word? There's a lot of comps between the two, things that blend over between the two movies. Amy Heckerling is clueless too, right? She is clueless, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's kind of mean to say, but she directed Clueless, yes. <laughs> that was such a cheap joke. I appreciated it. <laughs> okay, so so speaking of fast times and people fapping in bathrooms and getting caught, let's go to the testicles and you scene here, which 
Again, a scene that I did not see in this movie for several years. I didn't even know it was in here because I only knew the TV cut. Yeah, I love uh, the brother. Uh, Tommy comes in and all these scant- scantily clad women are, are walking around and, and he, he just can't keep eye contact with Johnny. And Johnny says, why are you quitting? He says, I just haven't got the tits for it. I mean, heart. That is not a line that Dom and I would have quoted as kids. We would have gotten a lot of trouble for that one. (laughs) But yeah, for I'm just summing up people who may not know this movie that that Johnny's brother is going to drop out of law school because he needs to, you know, have sex with a woman. He's just dying for it. So Johnny is going to show him an instructional film, how you can't let sex rule your life. And it is called Your Testicles and You. And it features a black and white cartoon dick. (laughs) Yes, not only that, but it it, it has... Uh, men in a hospital ward walking around with canes very gingerly because their testicles are huge. <laughs> These are the unlucky ones. <laughs> they are suffering from what, Mario? Enlarged scrotum syndrome, perhaps? That's what those poor devils had. I, I mean, you got to have a lot of balls to write that scene in a movie. My favorite is that when they, they cut to the doctor at the Atlanta Genital Institute, there's two big black balls out in front of the, the, the building, which in Atlanta, I'm sure there's big black balls, so I guess it works. Wow. I cannot believe you went that far for that joke, but I, I'm impressed. <laughs> so the doctor is, is, is talking like an uh, inform- informational video uh, about the testes, and he says, you know, the testicles are like balloons. Sometimes they're empty, and then he puts his mouth on the balloon or testicle and sometimes they're full and he blows up the balloon and sometimes and he pops the balloon they can explode and then you get betty boop we this is a great cameo right where uh (laughs) she starts uh uh, being all sexy towards the uh, cartoon uh penis the dork dork correct and uh he gets more and more aroused until he explodes like a balloon And Tommy Kelly does not enjoy that. Yeah. Well, this will turn Tommy off of sex for at least a short time. But again, how did this scene make it into a PG-13 movie? That's I'm astounded just knowing what could get by in a movie and what couldn't. And that was and maybe it's a, you know, differences in uh, ethics and morality of between the 80s and now in the 2010s. But like sex and the F word, those were the two that would go instantly a PG movie into R. So even though this is PG-13, this whole your testicles and you scene really makes it questionable this was even a PG-13 movie. Like this is you're getting into Porky's territory here. See, I'd, I'd actually beg to differ because, you know, back in the 80s where, you know, sex was so taboo, you could almost see this as a video that you would watch and like all the guys together in gym class with a gym teacher, you know, all right, boys, they're making me make you watch this video. So watch this. And uh, it would scare you straight where, you know, you, you wouldn't want to have sex because you just saw the cartoon dick explode. <laughs> so, so you're saying the girls would all be taken into one room to watch the menstruation video and all the boys would go into this one in like Reagan's America to scare them off sex. Exactly. You know, you didn't want to get AIDS. Uh, that was just, just like just about when AIDS started coming on the scene. So and, and it was all Puritan where they, you didn't want them having sex. So I think it was informative. So you're saying Betty Boop started AIDS? Exactly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, so anyway, the your testicles and you scene, a very notorious scene in this movie that is not in every version. I, again, have to reiterate. Uh, my parents would not have let us see this movie if they had seen that scene. 
And now we go to we're going to escalate here that uh, Jocko Dundee, the leader of the the, the gang, is going to he's going to get ready for his retirement. He wants to start stepping down. He's getting old. He wants to turn the club over to his protege, Johnny Dangerously. So Johnny's about to become the biggest crime boss in town. And we have this big gala festival where Lil, of all people, comes and sings a song to him that basically says, Johnny, I want to have sex with you, basically. But it's in, in her defense, this is actually a pretty catchy song. I actually like the scene, the I want to live dangerously scene. Oh yeah, it's it's a, it's a great scene, and and uh, you know, I can I can hear the song in my head, and there's so many little gags as she's walking around, uh, uh, singing the song, being all sexy, like uh, one guy's there with his wife, one mob guy, and he's trying to he takes a bracelet off his his girl's uh, hand to give to Lil because she's so hot, and of course the girl slaps him. Also, just I I love watching little background actors in the scene, like you're right, they're all doing these little over exaggerated things just off to the side, so. If you've seen Johnny Dangerously hundreds and hundreds of times, as George and I have, just at a certain point you just watch the background actors to see what they're doing, and they're having fun too. Yeah, they uh, they also want to live dangerously. So so Lil and Johnny hook up. She sings this song that basically gives them the go ahead, and they 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 meet after the show and they start walking and talking. And now this isn't one of the funniest scenes in the movie. I always kind of forget it's in here. It's kind of drags down the movie a little bit. But there's a lot of weird little one-liners that I forgot are in this scene. Yeah, they're, they're, they they go back and forth, and as as Johnny says, you know, you sure can banter, because they, they start a uh, metaphor, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm not an English teacher. I don't know anything but adverbs, but... It's a gerund, I think. Exactly, and, you know, uh, puts his leg up there, and she says, you're holding up traffic, and, and he says, well, that song uh, gave me the green light, and she says, well, let's say you're off red, but you're you're still on amber and he says i hope the light changes soon because my motor's running and she says well you better be careful you don't want to overheat and that's a lot of banter yeah that's just a screenwriter having fun with the genre right there absolutely yeah there's a couple good lines here where she talks about how you know i'm from pittsburgh and i've been all around the world and i finally settled here in chicago and he's like you're not in chicago you're in new york and mary lou henner just pulls off a perfect beat where she's like well chicago new york whatever yeah, to a girl, to a girl on her own, it's all the same. Yeah. And there's a line there where um, they're talking about how Johnny never knew any of his family, any of his relatives. Like, I didn't know my dad, I didn't know my uncle. I kind of knew my maternal grandma on my mom's side. She's like, did you have a dog? And he's like, oh, yeah, we had a dog. Ran away when I was a kid, didn't know him. So, yeah, they're having this whole conversation, and uh, you've seen this uh, trope and other things, too, but. They finally, you see them walking, they pass by a sign that says, like, you're entering New Jersey, and they're they're just in some field in the middle of nowhere, where they've just been walking all night talking because they're so into each other, and, and then finally, uh, you, you finally get the kiss, which uh, cuts to, to one of my favorite uh, little gags in the movie, when the fireworks uh, go off, like, uh, you know, as an, you think it's a in-between scene, but then you see the fireworks outside Jocko's uh, gang's headquarters, and, and Jocko says... Johnny's getting laid. <laughs> yeah. Very, very blunt setup and delivery of a joke right there. And again, 10-year-old Mario didn't get that joke. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, so it took a little while for me to figure out what they're talking about there. I was not the smartest kid. It was a little too subtle. Maybe they should have had a train going in and out of a tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, the astronaut planting the flag on Mary Lou Henner's virginity night. <laughs> okay, so... So yeah, Jocko is handing the club over to Johnny, and then things are going to escalate very quickly in the next scene where Jocko was tr- they, he, there's an assassination attempt on Jocko Dundee's life where 
And it's the, this is the cookie scene that I mentioned earlier, which there's no reason for this joke to be there where Johnny's getting shot at by all these Tommy guns and all these assassins. And he comes in, he's like, man, it's nuts out there. And Jocko, the crime boss, is like, here, you'll feel better if you have a cookie, <laughs> which will never fail to make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, so then uh, Jocko goes to the bathroom, and, and at the beginning of the scene, you see a plumber leaving, and and uh, he goes into the bathroom, and, and he's talking about the plumber, and then Johnny is realizing, like, this isn't a real plumber, because Jocko's having trouble flushing the toilet, and then all of a sudden, you know, big explosion, and, and Jocko com- uh, comes out of the bathroom, uh, like, young, when he's playing Frankenstein, and young Frankenstein's <laughs> And uh, Johnny tells him to calm down. <laughs> and J- Jocko says, calm down. I'm standing here with my dork in my hand. <laughs> that makes twice in this movie they referred to it as a dork. And I didn't even know that was a thing. Is that a common term for it, George? Have you done the research? Yeah, it's uh, it's a, like a, a, a cleaner way to say dick. <laughs> wow. Yes. It's it's in another movie too. It's another '80s comedy. I can't remember what it was, but um, Johnny tells him, you know, it's it's not your dork. It's it's just the the handle from uh, from the bathroom. This is actually one of my favorite lines. He goes, he, he names his, his penis. He, Freddie, you're still there, you little bald headed beauty. <laughs> I love, I love that, you little bald headed beauty. So many little one-liners and weird things about this movie. And that's something I never even noticed before. Like the Freddy, that line never really resonated with me. Although, I have to say, so when, when people are walking around calling people dorks, they're actually saying penis? I had no idea. Yeah, dork, you're, you're, you're saying dick. You know, you're a dick. <laughs> wow. That really changes the way I refer to my childhood because I always say I was a dork. I'm, I'm going to stop saying that. <laughs> So here's another uh, sight gag that uh, uh, cracks me up is the headlines that go through uh, over and over. I used to be in newspapers, so um, I always love looking at newspapers. And I look at the little other headlines and stuff like that, see if I can find stuff like that. And there, there's not any weird other headlines, but the headline for that day is is the explosion has caused Jocko to retire and dangerously takes over. And they show a police sketch of Johnny Dangerously and the police sketches of Mario. Sylvester Stallone, Rocky. Yeah, it's perfect. It's great. <laughs> it's funny. I've seen um, people on YouTube or the uh, on uh, Internet Movie Database comments talking about that joke. They're like, you know, Johnny Dangerously looks a lot like Sylvester Stallone. It's the weirdest thing. And I'm like, that's the joke. Like, <laughs> It's just a random Sylvester Stallone entrance into the movie. And there's another even better uh, newspaper joke later with a picture. Uh, we'll get to later. All right, so basically Jocko is retiring. He gives his, his beloved cigarette case that says JD over to Johnny Dangerously, who coincidentally also has JD initials. It's a nice little uh, sequitur. I guess not a non-sequitur. That would be a sequitur at this point. And so things are going great for Johnny Dangerously, although now we end Act 1 and we go to Act 2, the sad part. Yes, the sad part of Tommy Kelly finally graduating from law school. 
Yes, it's a downfall. But this, yeah. Okay, so to set this up for people, Johnny is the top of the crime world. He's, you know, making money hand over fist. He's got a great life. He's got a new hot girlfriend. But now his younger brother that he is encouraged to go to law school graduates from law school and announces he's going to work for the DA, which means he is going to fight crime. So all of a sudden, his younger brother is now going to be Johnny Dangerously's arch nemesis. And I'm sure you have something interesting to say about the graduation scene, George. Uh, three things. <laughs> yes. First, so you know how uh, there's those misheard lyrics like uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, excuse me while I kiss this guy, or it's actually kiss this guy, the sky. For the longest time, when uh, the mom pulls out the, 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 she pulls out some alcohol to toast him graduating, mm-hmm. she, she pulls it out and uh, Tommy yells at her to, to not do it. And for the longest time, I thought she, he said, Mom, it's Pearl Vision. <laughs> I thought it was like he was complaining, like, why are we going to do a shot of a contact lens solution or saline solution? <laughs> and the joke still worked. Yeah, exactly. I made it a joke in my own mind. I guess, I, you know, aspiring young comedian. But then um, when she's looking for the, 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 the camera to take a picture, she pulls out a steak. She pulls out a wig. And this is something I didn't know this for the longest time. She pulls out a vibrator. <laughs> yes. You know, I don't, you know, you talk about there not being any swear words in this movie, but we did have slurs. And here's one you definitely could can hear. Ma Kelly complains to Tommy that he is, quote, and I don't support this, is acting like a fag choir boy. <laughs> yeah. Did they blurt that out on TBS? Yes, because that was a word you could use on TV back then. That was a very common, not considered especially offensive word, because that's how teenagers talked and young people talked, that they'd throw around that word left and right. So that line was in the TV edit. Wow. So so times have changed for the good. Yeah, they've changed a lot. But I will say that line, and again, I don't really like using that word. That's not a word that I ever used ever when I was trying to be funny. I just it seemed mean. But... That line comes out of nowhere, and it's so blunt, and it's so just out of context coming out of Maureen Stapleton, Ma Kelly's mouth, that this is probably the line that made me laugh the hardest in the movie the first time I saw it, just because, again, it's so unexpected. Yeah, it's, 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 it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Especially, you know, when I was a kid, it probably, you know, we were, we were terrible kids. We used that word and, and played terrible games and were just mean, but... Wow, the, the watching that now, it, yeah, it, it's it's not right. It's a hard F word. Yes, yes, and and yes. And just in the in the interest of art, I will repeat the entire scene so you can hear how blunt it is. That yeah, there it's 1930, and Tommy has just graduated from law school, and and the mom pulls out a little flask to celebrate, and he's like, "Ma, it's prohibition," and she just drops this line. Ah, shut up! Stop acting like a fag choir boy. And it's just, wow, that the beloved Ma Kelly just dropping a hard F word on him. Yeah, it's, you know, some things do not age well. This does not age well. But it was, it was shockingly, yeah. Coincidentally, Mom Kelly also does not age well. Yeah, you know, at the beginning of the movie when she starts having those problems and she, it's her birthday and she says she's 29 and she hopes to make it to 30. <laughs> yeah, no, she looks like she's 80 and she's playing a 29-year-old, although then like you said, she pulls out a raw steak out of her purse and like a vibrator. <laughs> so, again, we're stretching the PG-13 limits here. Yeah, I, yeah, and then she says, you know, it's, a, it's amazing that neither of you grew up to be a piece of shit criminal. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> That's a line that my brother and I would, would quote a lot. We wouldn't say the actual S word, but piece of S criminal. It's, just a, it's a fantastic turn of phrase right there that I've used many times over the years. Okay, but yeah, so this is the dilemma Johnny's going to face the last hour of this movie, last half hour, that his brother is now the head of the DA's office and the number one crime fighter in the United States, and he has made it a mission to take down Johnny dangerously. So it's going to be brother against brother, mono against mono, podcaster with a filthy mouth against his brother, the federal judge, is how it's going to work out here. Yeah, and then there's me, Cousin Oliver. Yes, Cousin Oliver, thank you. I'm glad we had you on for six episodes before you were killed in a car crash. Did he die? He didn't die. Better to be Cousin Oliver than Sam from Different Strokes. <laughs> that kid was the worst. All right, so uh, what's happened here? So, yeah, this is the big montage with Tommy taking down all the crime in the city. He's a tireless crime fighter. And, again, I love Tommy in this movie. He's so earnest and so eager and just like the perfect good kid. Just like my, my brother, I have to say, that Tom's a lot like that. So he's just taking down criminals left and right, and this is where we get the scene where he, he takes down Roman Troy Maroney. Yeah, he brings Maroney uh, to, the, to the court, and he's accusing him of all these, these different things, the Mother's Day Massacre and Christmas Day Slaughter and Lincoln's Birthday Mutilations and Groundhog's Day Beheadings and maybe an Arbor Day Mutilation. I don't know. I think we use mutilation. Whatever it is in... Uh, Maroney, uh, of course, wants to speak on behalf of himself, and <laughs> I wouldn't doubt if when your brother finally got his confirmation hearings, as if he started off with, I would like to direct this to the distinguished members of the panel. If he started that off, I would, I would vote for him for whatever office he wanted to, because it would be a, a personal, private joke between you brothers, and you would have cracked up. I was at his, his confirmation when he actually became a judge two months ago, and he actually did start it off with, you lousy corksuckers in this summon a batching country. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, that's the great, yeah, Roman gives the greatest speech, and this is the thing about Johnny Dangerously, why so many people love it so much, is that Roman Maroney's only in two scenes in the whole movie. <laughs> And he just steals both of them. You think he's in it more than he is, but he's not. He's in the one at the nightclub at the start. Although he does say, Far, this is Fargan War in a little half scene. And then this scene where he <laughs> reads his prepared statement and insults everybody in the court in his faux Italian swear wordy accent. And then he says, thank you at the end. <laughs> I would like to direct this to the distinguished members of the panel. You lousy corksuckers. You have violated my Fargan rights. This Samanambaching country was founded so that the liberties of common patriotic citizens like me could not be taken away by a bunch of Fargan ice holes like yourselves. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, so uh, uh, Tommy uh, uh, is trying to, I, I don't know, I guess badger Maroney into finally breaking and he's He's progressively accusing him of more and more stuff. And then all of a sudden he throws a, an SAT question at him. A train leaves New York at 300 miles an hour and accelerating 50 miles an hour, travels a distance of 600 whatever miles. What time would that train reach Chicago? And you could see Maroney just progressively get more and more frustrated. And, and he gets up and yells, that's a fucking trick question. Yes. I would advise any young student who's involved in high school debate to just use that as a retort at some point. That's a Fargan trick question. Just scream it at the loud, the loud as you can. It's, it usually goes over well with the proctor. Yeah, if you've got nothing, 
do a Roman Moroni and you can't lose. Well, actually, you can lose because you'll get deported to Sweden. <laughs> yes. WWRMD. What would Roman Moroni do? Just always think that. He would call you a Fargan asshole. Ice hole, sorry. Yeah, no swear words on this podcast, please. Mormon words only. Yes. Cork suckers. <laughs> Fuck face. <laughs> you could say it because you're saying it in the parrot voice. Well, yeah, because that's how a... See, that's not a swear word because that's how a parrot may say it. Exactly. I, mean, I don't think there's any rules of, of, uh, against parrots being uh, uh, vulgar or racist or whatever. Polly versus the Board of Education, that one. I think that was another landmark case. All right, so yeah, Maroney, Maroney was deported to Sweden, claims he's not from there, and that's the last we see of him in the movie. And again, the tipping the malt liquor on the ground in honor of Roman Troy Maroney, one of the all-time great movie side characters who's only in the movie for two scenes. I'm glad how we've tipped uh, malt liquor twice with having not gotten to that scene yet. <laughs> People just think you're a really big Billy D. Williams fan. Talk about a joke that doesn't age well. Let's get up to that Danny DeVito scene in a minute. Yes. Okay, so here comes the big showdown that said Roman Maroney has been taken down, the DA has arrested him, and now Tommy's coming after Johnny dangerously. And again, he doesn't know it's his own brother, and this is where Johnny's gang is starting to get a little nervous that this DA is coming after him, and, and this is where Danny Vermin first suggests, you know, why don't we just kill him? And Johnny's like, no, you can't kill him. You can't. I'm, I can't say it's my brother, but you can't kill him. And this is where they fight again. And this is where Johnny escalates their relationship by hanging Danny Vermin on a hook. Yeah, you know, right before that, uh, Vermin gets agitated, and he's got this hand cannon, eighty-eight uh, uh, special magnum, whatever. And the bird uh, talks shit to him, and he shoots at the bird. He's got this huge gun, and it ricochets off a brass. Uh, bird stand and it, you know just bing it's like come on and then that's when the bird calls him fuck face you missed so, so you're saying there's flaws in logic and Johnny Dangerously you found a goof here I'm saying that the SAT question about the train and acceleration whatever had the same sort of physics as that bullet that hit the bird's uh, cage yeah, so so Polly survives the shot, and then Vermin gets hung on a hook. And that's my personal favorite Danny Vermin line. Like, you shouldn't hang me on a hook. What is it, my father? Yeah, my, my father thought. hung me on a hook once. Once. Yeah, so so at this point, Vermin knows something something's fishy between uh, uh, Kelly, uh, uh, Johnny Dangerously, and the DA. Yeah. <laughs> Although I have to say here, there's another line. It's little random not even jokes, but just lines in this movie that my brother and I would always gravitate toward and just quote, quote endlessly to each other. There's one here where, where Johnny's talking about how they don't need to kill the DA because they got it good and they're all doing well and we don't need to get any heat on us. And he's like, like Vito, Vito here owns a hundred. How many hats do you own, Vito? And Vito's like upwards of around, you know, 180. And Johnny's like 180 hats. That's a lot of hats. And that's something Dom and I would, Dom and I would always say that to each other. That's a lot of hats. <laughs> You know how many immigrants could, could walk around New York with that amount of hats? Wow. So Vito is stealing jobs from people. He is. He is defying the McCoy Act. Oh. Vito's an Uncle Tom of the Italians. He's sold out the Italians. Ouch. <laughs> no, Vito. No. He's Samuel L. Jackson in, uh, in Django Unchained. He's the bad one. He's turned on his people. Oh, all right. So Vito, Vito is the true villain here. He's hogging all the hats. 
All right, so so Johnny's one uh, his one plan here to get Tommy off his back is the good thing is that Johnny has the district attorney, the guy who runs the DA's office, uh, Danny DeVito of all people. He's already got him on the payroll. So Johnny's like, all right, take my brother out and get him to play ball, bribe him, get him to like stop coming after me. And so this will get the the very uncomfortable and odd Danny DeVito scenes in the movie. I don't like how you said they were uncomfortable because they, they are awesome. They're some of my favorite scenes. You know, Tommy comes in the house and, and he starts talking about all this evidence that uh, that he has against Johnny Dangerously, uh, depositions and blood and tire tracks and murder weapons and fingerprints and recordings. <laughs> and this is a line that I use because DeVito says, oh, it's, it's flimsy. It'll never hold up in a court of law. <laughs> you use that a lot in your dealings with the law office? You know, I, I wonder your your brother. We, we we you need to superimpose him giving a, a very stern brief about would these things hold up in a court of law? <laughs> I'll have to see if he's ever used that in a ruling. It's flimsy. It'll never hold up in court. <laughs> you know, it might be better that he's not here. It's actually more fun that he's not on this podcast. <laughs> All right, so so yeah, so the DA invites Tommy over and gives him this whole presentation why he needs to play ball and be corrupt. And I will say as a formative 10, 12-year-old boy growing up watching movies where you don't see a lot of nudity, the scene where the woman opens the uh, her coat and she's in the tiniest little ice bikini ever was a very formative moment for 11-year-old Mario. I'll just say that right now. Yeah, if Mary Lou Henner didn't get you, then then this woman definitely did. If and, and it didn't dawn on me, I think, until this viewing, when the DA says you can, uh, uh, you know, he says ice. It's a diamond bikini. Yeah. I, I just never made the, I didn't know when I was a kid that ice was a, a, a nickname for diamonds. Yeah, we just thought he was a white rapper. <laughs> ice. That's terrible. <laughs> it was really terrible. I'm so glad I went there, though. <laughs> But yeah, it's the smallest bikini possible made out of diamonds, and you see a lot of skin, and it's not something you saw in a lot of PG movies. And I'm like, people talk about Princess Leia in that slave bikini in Return of the Jedi. Look for the ice bikini in Johnny Dangerously. It tops it. I'm just saying that. You know, I watched this movie on YouTube, and the, the, the freeze frame that when you click on it is actually that scene of her wearing the ice bikini. <laughs> wow. On YouTube. Wow, that really gives people an uh, unrealistic view of what this movie is going to be. Yeah, it's, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so Tommy turns down the offer to play ball because he's too earnest, and he's a straight shooter, he's a good guy, and he says no. And then on the way home, the DA has his brakes cut. This is the typical way to dispose of somebody in the gangster era. You cut their brakes, and Tommy's brakes go cut, and... And I believe it's, it's he's been given the go-ahead by Danny Vermin, who pretends to be Johnny. So all of a sudden, there's an assassination attempt on Tommy's life. And, and this pisses off Johnny, because Tommy ends up in a body cast. Yeah, the, the Tommy is driving down the road, and he's, he's frazzled from the DA trying to bribe him. And he's got the radio, and then he, uh, he's going faster, and the brakes aren't working. And what's uh, you know it's a gag where the radio starts going quicker and quicker. And and then, then uh, it, uh, Tommy goes over the cliff, and uh, this, this is another thing I, I think sometimes is, oh my god, oh my god, it's like the the worst reaction to you know going over a cliff. <laughs> it's the weirdest little intonation that has always stuck with me too. When yeah, Tommy's car is rolling over and over and over down a hill, and it's just, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> 
<laughs> I can do old-timey fast-forward radio and parrots. I found my calling. <laughs> That's good. Now, you do improv, so that'll come in handy on your next character. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the absolute worst on accent, so <laughs> I, I might need to do a parrot in my next scene. It's the only accent I can keep going for a while. Yes. But again, just the little stuff that sticks with you when you watch this movie that, oh, my God, like just that's not even a joke. It's just something weird in the movie that sticks with you over the years. And it's funny. You and I both fixated on that. That's something I have always fixated on. It's yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> OK, so we go to the hospital and Tommy is in a body cast. He's been he's within a, an inch of death. He's been he has to go through rehab and everything. And I always love the scene where. The mom can't identify which one he is in the hospital, so she tells by his eyes, and then she pulls out a marker and just writes Tommy on his face, which is that's so stupid. Yeah, big old childish scrawl right across his body cast face, Tommy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, of course, uh, Johnny realizes uh, the, the brakes were cut and needs to, uh, uh, he knows what happened. He knows that the DA did it, so he takes the DA out for, for dinner, and here's another thing that I just realized on my most recent viewing. The DA is gay, right? Yeah, well, that's what they're hinting at. Yeah, I, it just, you know, it, I don't think I knew what gay was when I was a kid. And, you know, he just, he buys him this, uh, he's trying to get him to go on vacation with him. And, and Johnny's like, oh, okay, maybe. And then he, he buys him a, a, a smoking jacket. And, and Johnny leaves the table um, and they're, they're, they're drinking. And he says, ooh, what is this? And uh, he says, oh, uh, you check out the label. I'm going to leave. And uh, uh, Danny DeVito picks it up. And he says, oh, malt liquor. And uh, he, he picks up his red smoking jacket. And then all of a sudden the camera starts shaking. And, and boom, out of nowhere, a bull jumps through the window, which was the, uh, a, a commercial in the early 80s for Schlitz malt liquor. They had the yeah. Schlitz malt liquor bull. And um, it would jump. It would crash through the window. uh, uh uh, and all the commercials. Yeah. This is why you don't put topical commercial parodies in your movies, because try explaining that joke to somebody who's 15 or 16 now. They'll have no concept what you're talking about. <laughs> it's just like making a what's up joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the Schlitz malt liquor bowl reference kills Danny DeVito. And again, it's the, the one part I tend to skip over when I'm talking about this movie because it does not hold up at all. Nobody gets that reference. They don't even mention that it's the Schlitz bowl. You're just supposed to know that. Well, this is the funny thing is in the headline for the newspaper, it says D.A. Uh, Burr dies in commercial. I had never noticed that until this one. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But then the, the picture that they use of the D.A. is a picture of Danny DeVito from Taxi. <laughs> it's not Sylvester Stallone? No, no. It's Louis De Palma. <laughs> it's, so it's really schlubby Rocky. Yes. Yes. It's it's the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, uh Danny DeVito twins uh, uh, version, the, the shit that's left over. <laughs> okay, let's go into Act Three. We're getting late in the podcast here, so we got to jump ahead a little bit. So now everything's going to come to a head. That Johnny is feeling all this pressure, and you know Vermin's trying to kill his brother. His brother's after him, and it's all going to come to a head at Tommy's wedding. Tommy now gets wet. It's married to his wife Sally. And uh, this is where Vermin follows, and he finds out that they're brethren. And there's a couple things going on in the scene here. First off, the uh, the handicap spot joke, which is a fun one. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Vermin and his sidekick Dutch, they park in front of there, and Dutch says, you can't park here. And Vermin says, uh, I am handicapped. I'm psychotic. 
and he puts up a little placard and it's it's the goofiest cartoon face of like a guy pointing to his head with I don't know does it have like X's over the eyes and it's got a googly mouth like Charlie Brown. Yeah, those were very prominent signs back in the 30s. That was the, the psychotic handicap placard. Yes, you point to your head that says I'm psychotic. <laughs> yeah, so, but uh, yeah, so Tommy gets married and then he and his girlfriend who have been dying to have sex go into a janitor's closet and start doing it. And this is where Tommy overhears Johnny walking by and his mom and they find out, oh, who knew that Johnny Dangerously was the DA's brother? And Tommy's like, oh my God, that's my brother. And he pulls out of his wife literally and goes racing out the hall and there's a great side gag of the the elderly black janitor singing take me home to jesus walks in and sees spread-legged sally in the closet and says hallelujah which always made me laugh as a kid yeah yeah absolutely he'll take me to jesus by the hand hallelujah (laughs) walks in on the da's wife spread eagle Anyway, so so we go outside and Tommy confronts Johnny. He's like, oh, my God, you're my brother. Like, we're going to fight. We have to fight this out. Like, I can't take you on in court and you can't come after me. So they have a fist fight. And there's a, a great line here that this is one that didn't really resonate with me as a kid that I just have to shout out here where it just shows the difference between Johnny and Tommy. Where Tommy's like, how could you turn to crime, Johnny? How? How could you break our heart like that? And Johnny's like, well, you know. Maybe it's just that big dealer in the sky just dealt me a bad hand. And Tommy, of course, completely misses the metaphor and says, It's against the law to gamble, Johnny. (laughs) Mom, it's prohibition. Yeah, stop acting like a... Yes. um, Choir boy. A choir boy, yes. Yeah, so Johnny basically puts his fist down, lets Tommy punch him out, and agrees to take a dive for his younger brother. And this is where Johnny agrees. Okay, you win. I'm going to go legit. And uh, from here on out, Johnny is going to quit crime and try to go legit. And he goes back to his gang where he tells everyone. It's just a, one of the great throwaway gags in this movie where every time Johnny says legit, nobody in the gang knows what he's talking about. They're like, la what? La why? Like, yeah. <laughs> they can never figure out what that word means. Yeah. And, you know, you get another gag where uh, uh, breaking the fourth wall of, of Johnny dangerously talking to the the, the audience because he walks into the gang hideout and there's just smoke everywhere and he starts talking to the kids about how smoking's bad and he takes out the cigarette case and he goes, you know, if you got to put something in your mouth, make it a stick of chewing gum. It's what I do, or it's what Johnny does. Johnny with his little PSA for anti-smoking. Yeah, exactly. And then you see the guy who uh, passes out dead behind him, which it didn't dawn on me uh, before that, uh, that was the guy that Vermin shot. He was cleaning his gun, and he, he shot him, and it just took him a while for it to die. But it makes it look like he died from smoking cigarettes. <laughs> well, that's Vito, the guy with 180 hats, the race trader. This is, yes, the race trader. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Vito, the enemy of all Italian immigrants. So anyway, Johnny is going to go legit, and he goes to the crime commissioner's office to, you know, turn in his file with all the evidence against him, and, and, and you know, I'm going to pay my debt to society, and I, I owe this, and... This is where we meet yet another fantastic side character in this movie, Mary Margaret Catherine Deneen, who I know you're dying to talk about her, George. Oh, she is racist. What? No. Yes. Yes, she is. And uh, she does not like it when people walk over her uh, freshly mopped floors. And uh, <laughs> and she you, – you know the scene in Godfather where Tom Hagen – meets with uh um 
uh, who does he meet with? He meets with uh, somebody, and um, the guy, you know, starts calling him a greasy wop, dago, whatever. And he says, actually, I'm German-Irish. And he says, oh, you, you kraut mick, whatever. She uses all those words plus a lot worse. <laughs> And it's funny because you don't inter- you don't meet this character until an hour ten into the movie, and she's just a cleaning lady. There's no reason for her to be racist. She's just this old woman mopping floors, and Johnny walks right over her freshly mopped floor. And I'm not gonna quote the words she uses, but it's got the the most uh, the strongest Irish accent. And she starts screaming every ethnic slur at him, trying to figure out what he is. She's just going down the menu, picking out slurs and trying to see which one applies to him. And there's some. This is like Tanner in the Bad News Bears here. This is worse. <laughs> Yeah, she uses one word, and I wish I would have looked it up, and I, I would say it right now, but I don't know if it's, like, the worst word ever, but it's a, it's a, it's a slur that I've never heard before, so hopefully, maybe we can do a uh, an addendum to this when I figure out the word on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> Is it the one that starts with B? No, it starts with G. Oh, damn it, now I have to think of which one you're talking about. I... I... <laughs> The, how can we possibly dance around the scene and delve into it without quoting these words? I'm going to say the word P- PSA. I don't know what this word means, and maybe I just heard it wrong all these years, but it sounds like grabscene. It's like the second to last word. After Mick, it sounds like grabscene. Oh, I I think I know what you're talking about, and I'm only going to say this one because it's such a archaic uh, slur that I don't even know what's offensive anymore. She says kraut, and then I think she says chini. I think it's short for Chinese. Okay. I think it's kraut and then chini. I think there's two oh. of them. Again, there's so many slurs. Yeah, it's hard to delineate when one starts and the other one ends. <laughs> it's a lot of slurs. <laughs> yes, in her delightful Irish accent. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, it was vermin and Dutch who walk over it. She's actually, that's who she throws the slurs at. And um, and Vermin wants to shut her down and says, uh, you know, how'd you like to make some money? It's one of my favorite lines is uh, one of you at a time or both of you together. Yeah, as a kid, I don't know if I fully got that joke, but it is quite funny now. <laughs> yep. I love people are always trying to pay off this cleaning lady like the way she sees all these crimes being committed and and they want to hush her up. So they say, how much would it cost for you to be quiet? And I love that she always has a very specific dollar figure in mind. Yes. $17,000. $17,000. And the second time when the mom comes, she's like (laughs) $19,500. What a great year. Yes. So the cleaning lady sees Johnny give the evidence and then Vermin and his sidekick go in there and knock Johnny out and, and frame him for the murder, frame him for killing the commissioner. So Johnny all of a sudden is whisked off to jail because they've framed it to make it look like he killed the crime commissioner. It's a, a terrible plot twist in the last 20 minutes here. Yeah, Vermin uh, uh, knocks him out and, uh, of course, he, he steals the cigarette case. Yes, there you go. Important plot development there. That's right. Which we didn't mention at the beginning, that it's that cigarette case that saved Jacko Dundee's life at the very beginning when Johnny was a kid. Yes. There's a great sight gag, I don't know if you caught this, where after Danny steals the cigarette case, you know what I'm talking about? What Danny does to it? Oh, yeah, he puts his own initials, right? Yeah, it's JD for Jocko Dundee and Johnny Dangerously. But if you look, he's very, uh, very uh, callously scribbled out the J and drawn a V after it. So now it says DV. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Okay, so so Johnny gets arrested and gets hauled into court, and we meet another fun side character. The skipper from Gilligan's Island, of all people, shows up here as the that chief of police. 
Alan Hale. Hail to the Chief. Oh, come on. You're better than that. No, I'm not. I've proven it. <laughs> All right. So, so there's going to be a big trial where Johnny's going to go square off against his brother. And this is where all the reporters find out that Johnny Kelly and Tommy Kelly are brothers. And they, it's the old airplane side gag where they run into the phone booth and pull the lady out. It's a, we've seen this gag before, but it never fails to make me laugh. Yeah. Great scream. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a line here where, I don't even know if this is a joke, but it's just something that I was always fixated on over the years just because I love this movie so much where the the reporter tells the mom, like the mom is at the trial, and there's like, what what are your thoughts on Johnny being found guilty for murdering, for murder, uh, Mrs. Kelly? And she's like, oh, to tell you the truth, I got mixed feelings. Thrilled for Tommy, sad for Johnny. And I don't even know if that's a joke. I think I just like her delivery. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the delivery. Uh, that newspaper guy, he gets his he gets his his pay worth, you know, where he's Johnny's talking about the cigarette case and uh, trying to figure out where it was, and the the newspaper reporter keeps giving him suggestions for it, like maybe when you were, you know, when you're shaving, you might have put it on the on the sink. He's like, I didn't put it on the sink. Although we do get another malady happening to Danny Vermin here where where he goes up to Ma, Kelly, and Tommy and says, hey, thanks for sending Johnny off to the big house. And, and the mom goes up and, watch this, Johnny taught me this. And she knees Danny Vermin in the nuts. And he's like, you shouldn't knee me in the balls, lady. My sister kicked me in the balls once. And, but he can't even get out the once. He's like, uh, once? <laughs> Classic Joe Piscopo gag. Yeah, and then uh, Ma, Ma sent, turns to, to Tommy and says, Johnny ain't guilty, and you sent him to the big house. And then he punch, she punches him, too. <laughs> okay, I'm going to fast forward right to the end, because I'm going to yes. keep this fairly short here. But we get to the end of the movie, basically. Johnny goes to jail, and everybody finds out he's been framed. So they have to they have to figure out some way to get Johnny out of jail. They have to clear his name. And what happens is um, when, when Tommy eventually finds out that he's been framed for murder, Johnny's been framed for murder, Tommy goes to arrest Danny Vermin. Danny Vermin sets up this plot to assassinate Tommy so so he can never be uh, he will never be arrested and it will all culminate with Johnny escaping from jail, helped by, of course, your friend Polly. Polly the hero here gets Johnny out of jail. Yeah, uh Lil sends the parrot to the jail to send a message to Johnny and um so uh the parrot comes in and tells one of the prisoners that Vermin is going to kill Johnny's brother at the Zavoy Theater tomorrow night. And it becomes, becomes a game of uh, telephone where they uh, each prisoner down the line in the mess hall is telling him. And each time it changes a little bit and a little bit and a little bit until it gets to the guy before Johnny. So it starts out as Vermin is going to kill Johnny's brother at the Zavoy Theater tomorrow night. And when it gets to Johnny, it's – Johnny and the mothers are playing stomping at the Savoy in Vermont tonight. And Johnny knows exactly what it is. He says the original, you know, Vermin's going to kill my brother at the Savoy Theater. And the guy's like, that's not what I said. He says, I, yeah, I, I know this, uh, uh, what, I forget what he calls it, uh, this grapevine or, grapevine, or, or yeah. whatever. But here, here was my uh, cameo. The, I, don't, I think it's the second to last or one of the guys in the middle, he kind of has a lispy voice. Mm-hmm. This is the guy, his name is Mike Finneran. He was the maintenance worker named Art at Night Court. And he was in like, he wore the Yankees cap. And he was in like 30-something episodes of Night Court. Because <laughs> I recognized the voice, and because it, it's lispy. And, and, and you know, it's like, and it's just stuck in my head, so I had to look it up. Yeah, Art from Night Court. Did it live up to it? 
It was pretty good. I will say, if there's one bit of trivia I want people to take away from staff picks, it's that the 35th build character on Night Court was the 75th build character in Johnny Dangerously. Exactly. Wearing his Yankee cap, and and, uh, that's when they said, Hey, Mattingly, you know your last name's an adverb? I think there was an F word in there usually. I think you you dropped the last part. I, I said the other F word too much with choir boys, so I'm I'm on probation. Okay. So anyway, yeah, it all culminates. Johnny gets out of jail. There's some pig Latin jokes in there, which I should point out. There's the exact almost the exact same scene in Top Secret with Val Kilmer escaping from death row while there's pig Latin being spoken by the priest. And it's funny because these movies came out the same year, so they just happened to come up with the exact same gag in the same joke or the, in the same year. Oh, yeah, yeah. And actually, some of that Latin is, is some of the stuff that I say. And my favorite is probably post-Meridian, anti-Meridian, Uncle Meridian, all the little Meridians. He delivers it, it perfect. That's uh, Scott Thompson, right? That is Scott Thompson. Yeah, back here, the underrated hero of the 80s. So, yeah, Johnny gets out, goes to the, he gets, escapes from jail, goes to the movie theater, prevents Danny Vermin from killing his brother. And then Danny, of course, is like, you shouldn't shoot me, Johnny. My grandmother shot me once. So just a lot of violence going on in the Vermin house. Well, I mean, when your last name is Vermin, you're probably set on a pretty bad course. <laughs> yes. Well, maybe that was like a street name, like Dangerously. Maybe his real name is like Danny Smith or something. You know your last name is a rodent? <laughs> It's a gerund too, I think. I think we're going back to that. I'm, I'm guessing one of these words actually is a gerund, and at one point that word, that joke will work. I think a gerund is an ing word. I don't know. It's, it's been a long time since I, I took English, since I made English did class schoolwork stuff. Okay, so we get to the end of the movie, and this is the story of how Johnny became, you know, a famous uh, gangster villain, and now he's gone legit, and now he owns the pet store. And we all wrap around, and he says, see, kid, crime doesn't pay, so don't, don't go into crime. And he gives the kid a dog as a gift, which I should point out, the dog has like a price tag sticker that Johnny's been putting on him with a price gun. It's a little visual gag that I always always makes me laugh. Yeah, he was also putting, uh, uh, he was shining the shells of turtles earlier. Turtles, yes. All right, so the kid leaves, and we're back in the, in the present, and Johnny says, yeah, crime doesn't pay, and he goes out to the car, and he's like, well, you know, crime paid a little. He's driving this big car with a limo driver, and he and Tommy are in there. So all's well that ends well, and we end one of the goofiest yet most, most endearing and quotable movies of the 80s that, again, I, I would not recommend it to everybody. It's not a great comedy, but dang, if you like movies like this, this is one that really just is near and dear to my heart. Again, the movie I may have seen the most times of any movie in my life. Yeah, and, and as I said before, is a lot of these movies you love as childhood and you don't watch them for 10 years and you come back and you're Night Court. I watched an episode of Night Court not too long ago. I was like, oh, my God, this is the worst show ever. <laughs> Art, art couldn't even save it. What? Yeah. But uh, I, I watched Johnny Dangerously and loved it just as much as I did uh, growing up. Yeah, it just it's just the perfect little blend of silly non sequiturs and like just comedies that didn't take themselves seriously and they didn't really have a point to make. They just wanted to throw funny people on there doing weird, random things. And again, I can think of no comp to this movie. It's You're in the airplane genre, but it's not quite that. And it's it's endearing. And again, you got Michael Keaton in there, who I argued in my Mr. Mom podcast. One day, you know, in the future, he's going to die. And people are going to say, wow, 
he was good. Like, I didn't appreciate him enough. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Go watch Mr. Mom and, and uh, Johnny Dangerously back when he was at his peak. That, that guy was an absolute comedy star. He steals every scene he's in. He's amazing. He made Gung Ho a funny movie. <laughs> well, that's arguable. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he is funny in Gung Ho. How about that? All right, I'll allow it, as your brother would say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. All right, so anything else to add before we wrap up this one and I, I try to go through and edit it and take out some of the swear words that we drop we probably shouldn't have? Uh, Well, as I said, as long as you say it in a parrot's voice, it's okay. So thanks for listening, fuck racers. <laughs> All right, again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. Thank you very much for listening. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or at Mario J. Lanza on Twitter. And until next time, I'll be out there searching for more underrated movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>